Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program from we remember back in the 80s. I'm an, again, I'm such an 80s fan. It's my date, and I enjoyed watching in the 80s Punky Brewster. I'm with Soleil Moon Fry. Soleil, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat with you, but I'm going to talk about first of all the show, Punky Brewster. When you auditioned and got the gig did you think people were remembering it this far in advance we're in you know the 2020s and still people talk about the show and remember it oh it it moves me so much I've got to say you know for me punky was never just about a show punky was really a, a, a way of our lives you know cherry was really truly my best friend growing up and and it always felt like such a family and it was so inspiring to be able to do a show that really inspired people. And I think, you know, really moved people. And that definitely did move people. And it was such an, an experience. And just to see specifically enough, the, the, the growth that people just continue to watch it and tell, still tells the story today. And that's for sure. But you're absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And what's amazing also to think about is specifically enough you and how you're still always remembered for that character. Now, quickly, in a quick summary, what happened after Life After Punky Brewster? What types of things? Oh, a quick summary? summary. (laughs) I know it could go forever. Well, actually, actually, you could go on to Hulu right now and watch Kid 90, my documentary, and it will give you a much longer summary. (laughs) You know, I I have to watch that. I you got to watch it. It, That's really the quick summary. Like (laughs) check out Kid 90 because it goes into it. Um, I mean, I I grew up, I I went through puberty, I, you know, was coming of age, I went off to college, I then came back from college, I had babies, four kids, I mean, got married, then went through a transformation the last few years. I mean, there is a lot of catching up to (laughs) do. So is there soon going to be a book at one point on your life? You know, I actually, I had done a few books a while ago. I think it could be time to do another one. Um, you know, really the documentary has been decades in the making and, and that really, I, when I started it, it wasn't meant to be about me and, um, it wasn't a documentary about me. I tried to make it about everybody else. And then it ended up becoming a very personal, you know, coming of age story of both the teen and adult me. That's fantastic. Now, again, you're bringing this great awareness again for a vaccine that's going to help uh, make sure that people get vaccinated with this because of the dangers that could happen if you don't. So tell us about how you're uh, working with with the campaign Ask to Be Sure. Tell us about that. Oh, I'm very excited to be working with Ask to Be Sure. Uh, my, my kids are all at different ages and my oldest is 16 years old. And she is incredible and amazing. And I had a conversation with one of my dearest friends and she told me about meningitis B and I actually was not um, really aware of it. You know, I think so many people think that when the kids are younger that they do the meningitis vaccination and, um, and then they're set and really meningitis B is totally different. And one of the groups that it affects most are um, our teens from 16 to 23 years old. And I did a deep dive and started learning about it. And even though meningitis is uncommon, um, it's life-threatening and can cause death. And, and one in 10 people who get meningitis will die mm-hmm. and sometimes in as soon as 24 hours. So um, I learned more and more about it. And I spoke to Jamie, who is an incredible survivor, and talked to her about her journey, getting through it, having to deal with amputations, all that she had gone through. Patty, who had lost her daughter the week, you know, the week of her high school prom. And you hear these stories and 
And the thing that continues to come up, and I think it's something that we all deal with in life is, you know, that you don't think something can happen to you until it does, you yes. know? And, um, and so I think it's important for us to have this conversation uh, and to empower families to be able to ask their doctors and their care providers about this and, uh, and to definitely keep this dialogue going. So what is the step for people that want to get this vaccination for their kids? What do they have to go about doing? Really, really, I would say to talk to your doctor, healthcare provider, pharmacist, um, to, to learn more and, and to have the conversation. You know, it's been really interesting to talk to some of my friends about this. And again, it's one of my dear friends that told me about it. Now I've been sharing it with my friends. And again, I think that we, we shouldn't be shy to have these conversations and that it's important for us to be able to, to have these dialogues, both with our teens and with our, with our doctors, with our friends, with our families. And once I learned about it, my, my daughter and I spoke about it and I spoke to her pediatrician and now she's set to get her vaccination. And that's great. And so what percentage do they talk about specifically? Not enough are getting vaccinated then for this, are they? The, I'm so sorry. Not, not enough people are getting vaccinated for this. Is that part of the bringing the awareness that? So, well, so, so, so it was incredible to learn that like four out of five 17 year olds have not even received one dose of the meningitis B oh. vaccination. And that was back in 2019. So I, I think a lot of people just are not aware of it. And I think a lot of people, again, assume that because when kids are younger, so often going into school, that they've gotten the meningitis vaccination and don't realize that meningitis B is completely different. Okay. So, and I didn't know that. So you're educating me and I have six children. So I didn't, I, I didn't know it either, you know, and I think, you know, for me, I feel like I, I definitely tried to, especially during the pandemic, educate myself as much as possible. And I wasn't aware. And so I think it is an important conversation for us to have. And again, they can go to asktobesure.com to, to learn more. And there's more resources and conversation to be had. So what's new with Soleil? What other, what other things are going on with you right now that you can report to your family? Okay, well, juggling the four children is really uh, wild sure. and a yeah. lot. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic and amazing. And, uh, you know, living this Kid 90 dream, the documentary, I'm so grateful for the people that have been supporting it and for its success. And now diving into the next documentaries, which I am beyond excited about working on a few right now, which I'm thrilled with. And Proud Family is coming to Disney Plus, which is so exciting. And of course, Punky has been so fun with this continuation and people can still check that out. And what's all what's great is you like being behind the scenes. You like being behind the camera. You enjoy that, right? The I do. And then of course my work with Core, which I'm I'm so proud of, which next to my kids has been, you know, some of my proudest work, which I work with Ann Lee and Sean Penn on. And and that's just been such a dream. We've vaccinated over 1.5 million people and have done testing of over five million for COVID-19. And, wow. and we're a disaster relief organization. We're in Haiti right now on the ground. Uh, and so to be able to be a part of that on a global level has been one of the greatest joys of my life. seems like you're just getting it done. And that's amazing with four kids. still. You know, being I, I'm trying. I think, I think that, I think again, it's like when we look back at this time in our lives in this moment, you know, we'll ask ourselves, where were we? And, uh, and, and I want to be able to make my future self proud. See, I didn't know about that work as well. So that's great for the fans that have not seen what's going, going on with Soleil Moon Fry. I got to catch up with the documentary. I catch up with all the stuff that you're doing. So the best <laughs> way to connect with you, where's the best? Is it Instagram where you like to go the best? Absolutely. Instagram. You can check out Kid90 on Hulu. You can go to Core Response. Of course, go to asktobesure.com for this incredible campaign that we're doing around meningitis B and uh, let's educate ourselves and each other. So Leigh, thanks for coming by. Huge fan of Punky Brewster. It was just an honor to have you Thank on the show. And thanks for coming so on. so much. It's been All an right. honor to be here. I appreciate it. All right, take care. Thank You're you. listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.
Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment, and I am excited about my guest today for both TV and radio, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary from CNBC's, and I'm really excited about ta talking about Money Court and also Shark Tank. Kevin, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Great. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I want to get started. And this is kind of a question I'm sure you've asked always. Did you always want to become an entrepreneur? Was that something growing up you always wanted to do? I've asked entrepreneurs that question uh, as I've met them through my career. It always is some uh, definitive moment that puts you on that path. About a third of the population becomes entrepreneurs. Um, but for me, it was the humiliation of learning what it's like to work for somebody in an ice cream store and get fired because I wouldn't scrape gum off the floor. And um, that just was just something that didn't sit well with me. And uh, I have to thank that woman. She owned that ice cream store. I was in you know high school at the time working there because I was interested in the girl working in the shoe store beside it. And it was just one of those moments of humiliation. I realized there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that, you know, own the store and those that scrape the gum off the floor. And you have to kind of decide what, what you want to be and do. And I'm not dissing anybody that wants to have a career, right. you know, in a corporate ladder, but it's just, I can't do it. And I never worked for anybody again. After that. So you just made that decision. How old were you when you made that decision? I think I was 16. 16. So what, what was next for you when you said, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to, I'm going to, I wanted this. to be a guitarist and a photographer. And my stepfather said, you'll starve to death. You're not good enough. Um, I went to college and I took psychology and environmental studies. And he said, you're still going to starve to death. Then I went and did a business degree. And um, I really wanted to be involved in the uh, film business. I, I, you know, I had this Oh, really? artistic desire. But so what I did when I got out of business school is I started a film production company that produced content for the original six hockey teams in Detroit and Boston and Philadelphia. And um, that was quite successful. And that was my first journey into entrepreneurship. We sold the company. We had a format called Don Cherry's Grapevine. Uh, we did another format called the original six. And that was the sale of my first company. And I was off to the races. But I'd always um, wanted to go back to be, you know, trying my luck in bands. And um, but, you know, I, I've been fortunate on the financial route. And uh, today I have a massive guitar collection. I've got really great cameras. And um, I, I tease my dad saying I've, I'm, I've come back to haunt you because I can afford I can afford to do this now. And I'm still editing. I I actually grew up as a film editor on a, an eight plate steam back um and a cameraman and so i and, and every weekend i still cut on you know digitally now premiere pro keep my chops going my daughter's a producer in new york so i think she's got a few genes off the old man from the tv side but I, i've always thought that yin and yang in business is great um it helps you solve problems you know arts and the, the chaos of it and the discipline of business you i would never have thought that i mean might have heard a little bit about it on shark tanks i'm a huge fan of shark tank i would never have thought that you're in the entertainment business because the entertainment business helps you really in so many ways being a performer as you know when you did guitars to performing in front of people to being behind the scenes you really understand how to tell a story and that's an important part of everything in building something is that brand story yeah i agree with you you know i've i have fortunate I've, I've been able to work with the uh, world's best showrunners, best television producers, Mark Burnett, Eric Schatz, that's doing a money court and his team. Um, but I drive them crazy because I'm an editor. And when I see a, a, you know, a first cut of a show, I'm all over them. I'm just on the timing. <laughs> if there's a jump cut or something, it's a nightmare for them. <laughs> I'm sure because it's, it's your, you, that was the business you were in. Yeah. And I'm still in it. I'm still in it. I'm just on the other side of the camera, but exactly. 
you know, I, I do uh, a lot of work uh, in, on the technical side and, uh, you know, anyways, but in, in money court, um, you know, getting back to that, uh, th that really sprung from my interest. You know, I've got a portfolio now of 34 pl plus companies. And in America, we've got 65% of our jobs are created by small businesses. And a lot of those were started by families. And so right. what you find out, you know, money court's not like the other judge shows where there's a cat screaming in the neighborhood and right. people are upset and they, they go into small claims court. These are real litigations. This is real money. These are real people suing each other. And the reason they're on money court is they know we've got a log jam in our courts because of the pandemic and they need yeah. arbitration. They want to settle it and they want to yeah. move on. And as one litigant said to me, I don't really like you, Mr. Wonderful, but I trust you. And I'd rather be trusted than liked or win a popularity contest. That's an interesting dichotomy. And so a lot of these cases that come, it's a, I love the idea of money court because the fact is you're right. During the pandemic, it's harder to get court cases, different things. And people owe a certain amount of money. Is it mostly involving business a lot of times than some of the, your, uh, the people that come in with the money well, disputes? It, a lot of it's business, but it all involves money. What tears people apart, and, and this is why it's such compelling television, these cases, you're going to see yourself. You're going to see your family. You're going to see your cousin, your uncle, your brother. You've seen this happen to you, and now you're seeing it happen to somebody else, and it's how it gets resolved that matters. But some of this is really hard to, to you know, it's emotional. It's, it's, it's brutal to see a mother sue her daughter, for example. And, and just, you can, as you, as you peel that onion around the case, yeah, you've got the docket, you know what the claim is for, you know the litigation, and they signed for arbitration, but why is a mother suing her daughter? And how did that happen to that family? And when you go down that rabbit hole, that's when you start making some remarkable television. I mean, it's really, I'll tell you something about this show that you might find interesting because I've been doing TV a long time. And the people that, when you go to a studio like Telemundo and NBC Universal in Miami, where we shot this, that's state of the art. I mean, it's, right. it's the most incredible facility I've ever seen. And maybe we had a hundred people on the set, the sound people, the lighting people, the gaffers, the cameraman, you know, the, the, the makeup people, the caterers, they're all there. Yeah. And these people are pros. They don't watch TV. They make TV. Right. And so they're, they're jaundiced. They've done this before. Exactly. I'm, I remember one of these cases, I looked over to the right where the soundboard was and in every room, there's a line feed of what the truck is cutting off the, all the cameras. Right. And there was the entire technical staff glued to the monitor, watching this, this incredible story of this family ripping itself to pieces. And when the break hit, uh, the woman who did my makeup came over to me and said, I don't agree with you at all. I don't agree with what you're doing here. I think you didn't give the daughter enough money. And she was totally engaged. That's when I knew we had a hit. Because when the, t the staff are watching TV and they're supposed to be making TV, you got to hit. Right. That's what I think. And that's in telling a story. And so the mindset of the story, what is that ultimate goal of Money Court? What do you want to show uh, the viewers that really can understand? I, I, want, I want to settle. I want to, you know, I have a federal judge in Adipozo who's seen all from the bench, a real federal judge and a real trial attorney and Katie Fang, and they give me all the legal attributes of the contracts involved, what the law says, but ultimately the decision is mine. And I always try and resolve for the business because you think about a business, a family business, like the case you're gonna to see tonight, which is a crazy case. This is, most people think, oh, you're going to court because your business is failing and you're suing. Right. How about a case where you're so successful, you're making so much money, that the partners sue each other because they don't agree on the direction of making even more money. Oh. I've never seen anything crazier than that. And I sat there listening to this saying, this is insane. You guys have an incredible business. You're making a fortune on free cash flow, and you're suing each other. Exactly. And, and they were, and it was, a, as you will see tonight, it's an amazing outcome. And I think people are really going to get engaged in, in watching these cases get arbitrated. What have you learned about the law being part of this? The law is interpreted by lawyers and by judges and by people. And it doesn't always resolve itself to optimize for an economic outcome. 
And so I think what's great about Money Court is I know money and I know business and I know people. And, you know, I try and solve for, yes, I'll listen to the law, but ultimately, if it's not going to save the business, I will. I'll make the decision that's right to save the business because the business has more than just the owners. It's got the customers. It's got the employees. It's got the legacy of the value they've created around their brand. Why would I want to see that destroyed? And I think that's what's unique about Money Court. Yes, it's a, a legal platform. But ultimately, it's my decision. So these decisions weigh heavily on me, and I want to make sure I get it right, particularly when a family's ripping itself to pieces. I have to ask you a question about Mr. Wonderful. I'm a legitimate six foot ten former professional wrestler. So I we I've gone in the entrepreneur route, but I was a pro wrestler, college basketball player. You know, I'm an intimidated guy at times, right? Is the how did you get the name Mr. Wonderful, and how much is it really Kevin O'Leary, and how much is it a little bit of a gimmick? I'll tell you where this stems from. When I was 14 years old, my mother said something to me that I never listened to then, but later in life, it became very, very relevant. That's what happens in life a lot. If you park it in your brain, sometimes it becomes useful, sometimes not. She said to me, Kevin, if you always tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. And I said, bah, what does that mean? She said, think about it. You're going to be thinking one day to lie to somebody and you don't have to. You can just tell them the truth. But the, the thing about the truth is not everybody wants to hear it. No, and don't. so so, you know, my role on Shark Tank is is I'm the shark that tells you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear, because the real world is going to come and bite your Heidi anyways. And I think in the early demo days when we were shooting the pilot, you know, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, Barbara, who, you know, uh, we, we just don't agree on some stuff. Um, she said facetiously to me, your offer is a joke. You, you, you're trying to get control from these people at 51%. And it's the first time they've met you. Aren't you just Mr. Wonderful? And we think that's when it started. And I thought, yes, I am Mr. Wonderful, Barbara, because I tell the truth and you don't. And so we got into it back then and we've stayed that way all these years. And obviously I have a relationship with her that's very healthy. We're good friends. She's a great cook. I can cook too. We often meet up in New York and you know prepare a big meal. I love that. And the only reason she gets anywhere and makes it to Shark Tank on time is I buy her a new broom every year. See, what I think that helps you is being in the entertainment industry before being on Shark Tank. Some of them were, some of them weren't. And you really bring that, that really bring a different side, especially when you see someone pitch something and then bam, you hit them with the truth which is important. Yeah, and I, I think it's unfair to call me the mean shark. I just tell the truth. And I mean, if you can't no. handle it, don't worry. It's going to catch up with you anyways. I don't, I don't think you really, are. That really is important for money court. And what we found in the casting to get these cases to actually sign these contracts is many people in America don't actually like me that much, but they trust me. And I'd rather be trusted to win a popularity contest. That was a great honor for me to hear that from people saying, look, we don't have to be friends, but I'll listen to what you do in terms of adjudicating my case or, you know, going through arbitration with you. And when we did the post analysis, in other words, interviewed the exit people after they settled, after they heard my verdict, 90 percent of them were happy with the outcome. So I'm, I'm taking a lot of pride in that. And I think this show will have a lot of legs because there's countless cases in America oh, right now, countless. Oh. And I think we're, we're going to get a lot of them on money court. And it's too bad. Sometimes the businesses are really not at fault. Sometimes they are at fault. And that's where Kevin will rule. Uh, I have one industry question, another industry, and it's really becoming a big, big industry right now. And I want to get your take. And that's the space race with the space industry. It's becoming huge on Clubhouse. It's becoming everyone wants to get to space. What are your thoughts in the space race? I've had a, the opportunity to actually go and see Branson's facility. I've, I've had a chance to work with him on social media and see his uh, actual capsule that he flew in. Uh, I wouldn't do it, but he's a, a, an adventurous soul and I get it. I, I think this is going to be a good business. I really do. Not just from the, uh, the, the human perspective of the interest of seeing space. Everybody wants to see it and feel weightlessness. It's just, it's just human interest in being explorers. And I think they will commercialize that, but I'm more interested in being able to fly to London in an hour because I spend a lot of my time in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or in Switzerland. And I have to fly there six and seven hours. And some of this technology that's being advanced is for that suborbital travel that I can go from New York to London in one hour and five minutes. Imagine I can go there, do a meeting and fly back for dinner. 
that that's you know we had that way back on this you know in two and a half hours with uh, you know in, in the very first supersonic planes that were commercial that, that I flew those and they were terrible they were a tiny little yeah, you know, exactly. things with really noisy and but still you got there quickly um, but I, I think this technology is going to spawn all kinds of industries and be good for investors and then at one point you'll have businesses in space that's coming I'm sure yes absolutely I mean there's so much opportunity and all this technology that's advancing so quickly, even what we're using right now to talk to each other has changed business forever. And it's changed the, the profile of what I do. And, and you see it in the money court, all of the technology that we use to make the show during the middle of COVID, but also all the people that brought their businesses and their litigation, there was so much tech involved. People have just embraced this and it becomes part of the economy and part of the way people run businesses. All right. So the best place, again, Wednesday nights, at 10 p.m. Eastern, Money Court on CNBC. Cannot wait to watch it. Kevin, you were, you're definitely a great interview. Man, just so humble in so many ways, and I would never have thought that from the show. So I appreciate the time, and I have a different opinion, even though I love when you tell people straight, but hey, you got to do that, especially when you are the expert when it comes to as an entrepreneur. So thanks for stopping by. I appreciate well, it. Thank you. And tonight's case is going to make some people absolutely go nuts. <laughs> you, you ain't seen nothing like this. Enjoy the show. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few. Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, a.k.a. El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom from Rejection, Truth, Just, Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome Freedom Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I'm doing good, Neil. I'm uh, ending up the series on wearing a face mask a careful review of the evidence. This is part four. And if you've listened to the first three parts, uh, you'll be in a good position to get the most out of the last uh, part of this series. You can uh, get those by looking at archives at www.freedomfromaddiction.libsyn.com, spelling Libsyn, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. No caps, no spaces. So, what about the harm from mask use? The information that is accumulating involves mask wearers within a COVID-19 environment and raises many concerns, especially regarding psychological damage and especially to infants and children with potentially catastrophic impacts on the cognitive development of children. This is even more critical in relation to children with special needs or who are on the autism spectrum who need to be able to recognize facial expressions as part of their ongoing development. The accumulating evidence also suggests that prolonged mask use in children or adults can harm difficulty with breathing, inhalation of toxic substances such as microplastics and chlorine compounds located in the mask, sudden cardiac arrest, 
a reduction in blood oxygenation, also known as hypoxia, or an elevation in blood CO2, also known as hypercapnia. Psychological damage. N95 masks uh, show a reduction in the PAO2 level, increases uh, the respiratory rate, and increases the occurrence of chest discomfort and respiratory distress with prolonged use. Dizziness and lightheadedness, headaches, especially among healthcare workers, bacterial and mold buildup that can be inhaled, anxiety and sleep problems, behavioral disorders, and fear of contamination in children, deoxygenation during surgery, potentially life-threatening damage to the lungs. For example, Stanford engineers report that masks can make it much more difficult to breathe, estimating that N95 masks, as an example, reduce oxygen intake as much as 20% if worn for a prolonged period. As reported by Coops, facial skin infections, nose and throat and sinus infections, and a change in breathing patterns. The predominant conclusion is that face masks have a very important role in places such as hospitals, but there exists very little evidence of widespread benefit for members of the public, either adults or children, as well as evidence that masking is truly an ineffectual way to manage the pandemic-related spread of viral disease. As Colsto stated, it has become less about the science and more about politics and a symbol of solidarity. Our view is that masks as they are worn now and masks that are in use offer zero protection. They can be viewed as ineffective while others consider them as being better than nothing, but without evidence to support that view. Masks are not sealed properly to the face and do not effectively stop virus penetration. We state emphatically that public health policy or any policy for that matter must be undergirded by sound data and evidence. And as we have stated, the reality is that widespread use of masks is not supported by science and in fact, just the opposite. The mask hysteria is driving unnecessary fear in the population and must end. Those who deliver statements relentlessly on the use of masks are doing so without the luxury of any credible evidence to support their views. They speak on the assumption or speculation and not on science. However, it is important to understand that as we await definitive research, given the situation and the desire to spread to high-risk persons like the elderly. When consistent social distancing is not possible and out of an abundance of caution, face coverings amongst symptomatic individuals might reduce the spread of droplets with SARS-CoV-2 infection. This must also be considered when uh, in a setting uh, experiencing elevated transmission rates. Moreover, this is sensible to the degree that it does not support generalized mask wearing by the entire population. We urge always common sense, reasonable precautions be taken and on an individual basis, as the case might be, with age and hazard targeted approach to reducing the risk, always endeavoring to do our utmost in order to protect the high-risk persons among us. It is very sensible that one would use a face mask when visiting an elderly person who is high risk, or even if the setting is controlled, such as a healthcare setting in a nursing home. This makes complete sense, even though, again, we know that the evidence does not support this notion. It is reasonable to be cautious even in the light of limited 
or non-existent evidence, especially strong peer-reviewed evidence of effectiveness and the increasing information suggesting that there's now evidence of harm relating to mask use over time. Situation by situation decisions can be made that depend on the risk at hand. The full content context must be considered, but if you are adequately socially distanced, there is no reason to wear a mask. There is no evidence for this. Though we would also contend that one should wear a mask if that is what is expected, but adherence to meticulous hand hygiene and socially isolating the ill is probably more important. Danish reporting of a higher quality mask study on COVID and masks that were actually rejected or sidelined by top journals, including Lancet, New England Journal of Medicine, and JAMA, the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, is alarming, if true, and suggests a pattern of politicalization of research and of the medical community, journal editors, and the peer reviewers. In closing, perhaps Enon Weiss, who is a U.S. military veteran who holds a degree in bioengineering from UC Berkeley, captures our current face mask calamity by reminding us how masks constrain our return to a more normal life. As outlandish as it might seem, could this be the aim of those using the pandemic for the purpose of advancing various political ideologies? Masking drives fear in the population and a perennial sense of illness that is crippling. As stated eloquently by Weiss, our universal use of unscientific face coverings is therefore closer to medieval superstition than it is to science, but many powerful institutions have too much political capital invested in the mask narrative at this point, so the dogma is perpetuated. This uh, podcast seeks to examine the complete and most updated mask-related scientific evidence, along with anecdotal data and reports. Our current belief remains that asymptomatic individuals do not drive the pandemic, and that the time-tested method of Ignis Philippe uh, Semmelweis of washing hands remains the best established mechanism of limiting most microbial infections. People with symptomatic disease should not go to work. Unfortunately, since the economic downturn of 2008, the incidence of presenteeism uh, has increased due to the fear of losing one's job if one does not show up to work, even if ill. This behavior has to be taken very seriously and must be stopped. We also agree with the words of Klompas in the New England Journal publication. What is clear, however, is that universal masking alone is not a panacea. A mask will not protect providers caring for a patient with acute COVID-19 if it is not accompanied by meticulous hand hygiene, eye protection, gloves, and a gown. A mask alone will not prevent healthcare workers with early COVID-19 from contaminating their hands and spreading the virus to patients and colleagues. In sum, When we look at the science, there is emerging and troubling evidence of harm from masks used in the absence of any benefits. This is also related to things as mundane as simple incorrect use of masking, as well as the development of complacency that emerges due to mask use and thus the relaxation of other mitigation steps 
as well as mass contamination. We also cannot discount the possible harm to our immune system and general health from such constant and prolonged use of masks. Given we have never done this before, we are in uncharted territory and especially so with the possible implications for our children. Their immune systems are still being developed and we are forcing lockdowns, school closures and masking on a developing child and we have no prior experience on the subsequent outcomes pertaining to children's development, health, and well-being. Most discomforting is that those government bureaucrats in charge, and particularly the medical experts, continue to fail to admit that they were exceptionally incorrect with regard to most of what they have stated in terms of pandemic policies and response related to the COVID pandemic. They have harmed the very societies they are supposed to help protect. They have failed to look at the evidence and follow it and continue to operate in an arbitrary, non-scientific, non-evidential informed manner. They attack with the assistance of the mass media, those of us who question their policies and actions despite the disastrous outcomes of those public health policies. Indeed, we are often blamed for the failures, we're called deniers or heretics, and crushing harms of all of their policies when it has actually been their uh, illogical, unsound actions and recommendations that deserves public outcry. The contributing authors to this podcast in this series are Paul E. Alexander, Master of Science, PhD, McMaster University, and Guide Research Methods Group, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Howard Tenenbaum, DDS, diplomat of Perio, PhD, FRCD, Center for Advanced Dental Research and Care, Mount Sinai Hospital and Facilities of Medicine and Industry, University of Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Ramian Asquai, MD, CEO, Foxhall Cardiology, PC, Washington, DC. Harvey Risch, MD, PhD, Yale School of Public Health, New Haven, Connecticut. Peter McCullough, MD, MPH, Baylor University, Medical Center, Baylor Heart and Vascular Institute, Baylor Jack and Jane Hamilton Heart and Vascular Hospital, Dallas, Texas, and Nicholas E. Alexander. For myself and all these contributing authors, we hope that you have gotten some idea about the scientific basis for wearing a mask. And uh, we've carefully reviewed the evidence and given our report. Looking forward to bringing you an updated mask um, program in the very near future. I have ordered some masks, which unlike uh, cloth and surgical masks, can filter down to a third of a micron, which is the size of a COVID uh, virus. So if my research turns out as I expect it to be, I'm going to be recommended these new masks to be well worn so that you can completely uh, protect yourself and others from the virus. And uh, Neil, that's my report. You can go to my podcast, www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com dot com, spell Libsyn, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N, no caps, no spaces, and try to get as many people as you know to listen to this, uh, this series because it's critically important. Thanks, Neil. When it, thinking about these things, when you talk about uh, 
masks and why we're wearing them. It's probably in a lot of ways a, a situation where people won't practice social distancing, so you have to force them. But if all these effects were out there and told, maybe just maybe people would practice social distancing and not have to wear masks and just understand, you know, this is a totally, this is like forever cold and flu season and that we don't know who's infected. So these are things to have conversations. And I think you brought that up at the end of this program of the series that really brings up really an interesting thing. Social distancing is much better than masks, but can people do it? Let's hope they can, right, Wynn? Right, and uh, come back to my podcast for this and other truths just below the surface and look forward to a report on the new mask that actually can filter out the virus. All right, that was Freedom for Addiction, Truth Just Below the Surface and Neil Haley Show. Take care, Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom from Rejection, Truth Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? And we have a really exciting guest today. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. My guest today is Ann Woodbury. And Ann has a bachelor's degree in family and child relationships. She's also the mother of a myotonic dystrophy family, and she's going to talk about her her family uh, today. Her book is called Surviving Myotonic Dystrophy, A Mother's Struggle to Care for Her Family with a Rare Disorder. Having one child with a rare, incurable, and often misunderstood genetic disorder is tough enough, but Anne has four children and a husband with myotonic dystrophy, which is called DM. Uh, It's a disease that is characterized by progressive muscle wasting and weakness. Anne has been the caregiver and advocate for her family since their diagnosis in 1998, at a time when even doctors didn't know all the effects of DM or that it was a brain disorder. She has shared her knowledge of the disease and its treatment as the former head of Utah's DM support group. And um, like I said, she is the author of a book we're going to discuss today called Surviving Myotonic Dystrophy. Anne, it's nice to have you on the program today. Thank you, Dr. Wynn. It's nice to be here. Um, DM is a rare genetic disorder. You you tell me, and it's found in about one in 2,000 people, but only one in 8,000 get diagnosed. The DM patients live on the margin of society, often unable to hold down a job and struggling with multiple symptoms while lacking the basic motivation, energy, and executive brain functions that most of us take for granted and is Uh, necessary to get themselves diagnosed and treated. So, Anne, uh, it's a a dominant, uh, an autosomal dominant um, disease, which means that 50% of the children should have the disease if one parent is involved. But your family had 100%. That's right. Why did that happen? You got any idea? No, the luck of the draw. Um, My thoughts are we came into this life to do this together for some reason. And uh, uh, this myotonic dystrophy is just one of any number of muscular dystrophies. What what muscular problems uh, did they have? So myotonia, what it means is inability of the muscles to stop firing. So one of the classic ways to diagnose it is for the doctor to either shake your hand or have you squeeze his fingers and your hands tend to lock up and won't let go. We've all had the experience of doing something too long, like using a hammer and our hand kind of feels locked to it, but they have this all the time. But because it affects all the muscles, it 
affects things like their digestive. So many people have um, lots of GI issues and end up getting diagnosed with irritable bowel when really it's a manifestation of their myotonic dystrophy. Another thing, reason that it's important to get the word out is even if you just have minor effects from this, you can have um, what's called a first degree heart block, which evolves into a second degree heart block. But what happens is sudden death. And so myotonic individuals see cardiologists regularly, and my three sons have ended up needing pacemakers. So you, you've had various different problems associated with raising your family, and how are they doing now? They're doing amazingly well. Um, Three of them are on Social Security. The fourth, we're currently trying to get her on Social Security. But the benefit of that is that they qualify for lots of other programs. So three of them live in subsidized housing and food stamps. So the great part of that for us is that they don't live at home and they live independently, though I provide them all with cell phones because of their poor judgment, I'm their resource. We call me the Woodbury frontal lobe. (laughs) This has got to be a stress to the family. And would you say, I mean, having to be a caregiver in so many ways to, to your children? Definitely. And I, in spite of the fact that we have this luck of the draw, Um, I consider myself lucky because my husband has a very good paying job and therefore I can be the caregiver full time where many people are not only the breadwinner, but they're also the caregiver and it's very extremely stressing. What do you want our listeners to get out of of your book? Uh, Major important things. The most important one would be to be aware that there's, just be curious about your family's, any of their issues that they're dealing with. If it seems like you're not getting to the bottom of it, they might have this. Now, you can't just go to even any neurologist um, because in medical school, they only have like a chapter on it and most doctors aren't even aware of it. And so you need to contact the Muscular Dystrophy Association and find a doctor in your area that works with them because they're the ones that would know how to help you figure out if if that's what's going on. It's pretty amazing. When I went to medical school, nobody said anything about this. They either didn't know it or didn't teach it. So, and that was back in the 70s. So it's something that, you know, you have to be relatively up to date to know uh, about the disease. Well, and that's one of the um, problems is that th- these people, at least my family, manifest as very layback people. And so it used to be that the doctors didn't pursue it because if the patient doesn't care, why should the doctor pursue it? And that's one of the characteristics is that because it's um, a brain problem, it uh, causes them not to be overly concerned about whether or not they get diagnosed or, or they're in denial that they even have a disease. Very much so. And they can live in pretty poor conditions. Um, 50% or more live under the poverty level. And um, I, I, you know, I would like to help others, and yet sometimes they're not even sure that they want any help. What uh, resources uh, would you give um, to people who want to further evaluate this disease? Well, beyond getting working with the Muscular Dystrophy Association to find out if that's what your loved one has, The next best resource is myotonic.org. And that's the Myotonic Dystrophy Foundation that are doing lots of research, but they also are there for the family members and the people that are affected. 
and everything on their website is medically approved, the, probably the most important thing to get from them is the anesthesia guidelines. People with myotonic dystrophy die from anesthesia and even from sedating medications, any of your narcotics. And so this handout, anytime any of my family members need a procedure that's going to involve any anesthesia, we have a pre pre-surgery appointment with the anesthesiologists and educate them. And we live in a city where the anesthesiologists up at the University of Utah are very well educated, but that wasn't the case in the beginning. And so we always have to educate them so that they can get the appropriate anesthesia as because sometimes they may not wake up. Wow. This is uh how, are there any high profile people that have this disorder? So that's one of the things I get from um, interviewers and radio personalities that they're not interested because they say, well, when somebody famous gets it, well, they don't even have the drive to become the famous people or the um, executives or anything. The only person that I know of that you might happen to know was an actor that was in Jeremiah Johnson. And it was out in the middle of the desert and he was buried up to his neck. And that gentleman had it. Um, but that's the only high profile person that I'm aware of. No, no kid. So it's interesting. So it's really a brain, the awareness, and that's the biggest challenge for you because it's not out there. And that's the thing that bring, bringing awareness to a certain cause, maybe getting a celebrity involved to see and hear the story is important. And by being on the Neil Haley show, that's a perfect way to start it, especially in, in Wynn's podcast. I'll give, all right, back to you, Wynn. Um, so, Anne, um, your book is called Surviving Myotonic Dystrophy. Now tell our audience how to get a copy of that book and Give them your website uh, if you'd like for them to go over there and check you out. You bet. Um, so it's available on Amazon in both paperback and also audio and also Kindle. And you can order it there. And my website is mycausemyfamily.com. If you go there, I've um, got a free downloadable PDF that talks about how to create your personal self-care formula, because I've had to learn how to take care of myself in order to be there for my family. And it's uh, been a delight to talk with you today. And I hope this message gets out to hundreds of thousands of people and uh, I can uh, see about this uh, damaging disease that uh, they need to know about. Thank you, Dr. Wynn. Um, so audience, it's been a pleasure to have uh, you listening to my show today, and it's my sincerest desire for you to get something from it uh, that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. My name again is Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD, and as an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This podcast is the longest running, single hosted, spiritually based radio internet talk show in America. It's been on the air for over 20 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. You can uh, get my most recent book, Freedom from Addiction 3, at Amazon. And if you wait a short period of time, you can get uh, the newest version, which is Freedom from Addiction, the final message. Um, if you want to go to this podcast, go to it by putting in your address line, www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. You spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. No caps, no spaces. And uh, my uh, website is RevWynnHendersonMD.com. And uh, once again, Ann, thank you for uh, being on the program today and explaining this um, 
this disease of uh, myotonic dystrophy. Thank you for helping me spread the word. Definitely everyone needs to make sure they share this uh, as a podcast, but also as a radio show. If you're listening to it on internet radio or story, make sure you reach out uh, to Anne. Again, this was Neil Haley, the Neil Haley Show, special simulcast for freedom for addiction, truth just below the surface. Take care, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.